Hi, I'm Delene Allen, the networking queen. I love to connect people. There is nothing more wonderful than the human connection. The connection that can lead to incredible things, to love, to business, to make our lives just so much richer, meeting and connecting on a deeper level than, hi, here's my business card. But making those human connections that can take you to magical places. Stay tuned for network equals net worth. I want to hear your stories. I want to share your stories. Well, good afternoon. It's Delene Allen, Network Equals Net Worth. Welcome to my podcast, and I am thrilled to introduce you to Sandra Hennebohm is a journalist, digital producer, and founder of Twice As Good Media, a mindful journalism company that helps Black journalists and people who engage with the news. She writes and narrates Twice As Good newsletter, offering narratives to Black folk and allies so they can see the world as it is from a new point of view. With over 10 years of experience in journalism and digital marketing startups, Sandra has worked extensively in independent and nonprofit media. In 2013, she produced podcasts about race and politics in the provincial legislature, transcribing and editing interviews with all three Black legislators up to that time. She also volunteered with Changing the Narrative podcast about navigating life as an inspiring creative. In 2018, she produced two parts of a documentary on Black life and racism in Nova Scotia's public school system. As a freelancer, Sandra has worked with Tribe Network, Halifax Magazine, Halifax Examiner, Black Business Initiative Magazine, CBC, and she was the local housing reporter for the coast. She covered the rise of Airbnb at the start of the housing crisis, and she has covered a number of topics in social justice from poverty and systematic racism to disability rights and gentrification. Sandra is a graduate of the Google News Initiative and the Lion Publishers Startups Bootcamp, as well as the Meta Journalism Project and CUNY Craig Newmark School of Journalism, Entrepreneurial Journalism Creators Program. She also hosts and produces the Lion's Roar podcast from Lion's Roar Magazine, the leading Buddhist magazine in English-speaking world. So here we are. Welcome, Sandra. I am so thrilled to get to interview today on our podcast. Uh, you, like me, moved around a lot as a kid. You want to share what that was like growing up? Yes, thank you. Um, I was born here in Halifax, but we moved when I was only two or three years old to Ontario. So I grew up moving around in Ontario and then also uh, between Canada and the US as my dad lived in Nova Scotia. And we lived, uh, me and my mom in the U United States. It was, uh, it was wild. I did like being able to reinvent myself every time I moved, felt very freeing. It does, doesn't it? Excellent. And so um, I would describe you as an old soul. So share some of maybe if you've got a story of your mom dragging you around to different places, um, whether you might be happy to play in the corner or you liked engaging with people who, of course, thought you were the most adorable little thing ever. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I, I actually, you're reminding me of when I was younger and my mom was at work and I had a, 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 a nanny a babysitter who was an elderly woman who took care of me. And uh, every now and then we would go down to the bar near the apartment building when you could still have children in bars with uh, alcohol and she would let me lick the salt off of the edge of her Caesar delicious <laughs> and the old man would come and give me a toonie for being cute that was great <laughs> that certainly didn't hurt and you got to talk to lots of interesting people so really it yeah. sounds like from an early age you learned how to step out of your comfort zone a bit uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, you don't get to really settle down with one group of friends when you move every couple of years, but it was always an adventure. I, I kind of wish we had settled down in one place um, now, but at the time didn't bother me at all. <laughs> well, and I, I think don't you, it kind of helps us become more resourceful mm. early in life, doesn't it? That just like you said, I loved what you said, freeing, you could reinvent yourself. And yeah. certainly, um, the the fact that instead of sports tell us what some of your hobbies were <laughs> my hobbies were uh sitting alone in my bedroom under a light reading a book <laughs> nice. um i was the kid who just got writing awards for having good grades in in english or submitting an essay or something like that i, I did try to write a book when i was pretty young um, that was a mashup of Lord of the Rings and uh, Harry Potter. Uh, I did get all the way to chapter one on that. <laughs> but I love it. I have a niece and it's like her head is filled with stories and she can't get them down on paper enough. And I think that really when you have a love of languages, it is just, you know, again, when somebody can share that story in a descriptive way, it takes you mm -hmm. to another place, whether you're reading or obviously your reading led to you realizing you had something to say. Yeah, I guess it does. Yeah. Finding your voice, right? Yeah. yeah. And so to be able to do that at such an early age, what a gift, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but of course, out of all of the places you've lived, Sandra, whether it was Ontario, the States or whatever, tell us where you selected as home. My home was always Nova Scotia, since as long as I can remember. Um, you can ask my mom how many years I pestered her about, why don't we just move back to Nova Scotia? Like, <laughs> I don't even have a memory of living in Nova Scotia because I was so young when we moved, but um, I would spend every summer there with my with my dad after a certain age um and uh i you know as an adult i had i had to realize on my own terms that canada is not um the paragon of all countries it's not a perfect place and there's also racism and discrimination there just like there is in the united states but i will always choose nova scotia i'd always choose canada excellent yeah. Excellent. Well, and watch. Um, I, I, even though my parents were both from Ontario, I still consider I was born here uh, a maritimer as well. So tell us about your first writing award. That must have been so exciting. <laughs> it, you know, I'm still learning how to celebrate wins, uh, but it looked like being at a little junior high with 300 students and getting a little 
plaque that says uh, something about excellence in writing and then doing that a couple of years and not paying much attention to it. <laughs> oh yeah, but still the, the recognition, did that help propel you to share more stories that I, it must have, right? I think it just gave me the impression that, you know, as you're growing up, you're so obsessed with the idea of who you're going to become and what you're going to end up doing. And it's uh, it's actually so much pressure. It's really tough to work through. Um, but life starts to tell you what the answer is, right? And then it becomes a practice of learning how to listen yeah. to that. So, I mean, I... Ha never could really accept accolades, but uh, they do tell you, they, they tell you what other people think about what you're doing. Yeah. And so it's hard to ignore that. <laughs> well, but how lucky you were to be able to receive some recognition, because not everybody does. And hmm. sometimes to even accept a compliment for some people can be a bit of a challenge. But the fact that you know, you had that dream in your heart that unbeknownst to you and really subconsciously or unconsciously you were writing. So obviously we were putting to pen, but we can sometimes take those dreams and say, will that really happen for me? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where trying to rid ourselves of that negative voice and to pump ourselves up with a more positive. Okay. Yeah. So let's say we, we're early part of our life, we're kind of, you know, doing all kinds of things, get to university and you decided you were full in, what were you going to start doing that you were doing differently? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I had struggled through junior high and high school were very difficult as a loner goth kid. <laughs> but um, once I got to university, well, actually I should go back a little bit. I graduated high school and then I applied to one school and then I didn't get into that school. Oh wow. <laughs> so that was all my bets. So I worked for a year as a, a senior caregiver, so a, a caregiver in seniors' homes, not at a nursing home. I did that for a year and then I uh, realized that I, wow, <laughs> that work is tough. And I've done the call center thing, I've done the fast food thing, I've done all the food service, I was a barista. I didn't want to do that forever. So I decided to go to school. And when I made that decision, it was a big decision for me because I was so afraid of debt. I was terrified, especially with my background uh, growing up partially in the United States and seeing how it ruins people's lives there. Uh, but I decided you, you either do that or you don't go at all. So if you're gonna go, get a loan. At least you have them, at least you have that option. Um, so I did, and that was already a leap of faith, except life-changing, a life-changing amount of debt. And then it's not so huge a jump to now ignore all of your <laughs> interferes about facing people and the public and putting yourself out there and trying new things. <laughs> But you know what? One step at a time. And that's what mm. you did, Sandra. Good for you. And so, again, you're still writing. You're still doing things. But there was an underlying thing that you really felt you could not 
make a career or have an income from that? Yes. Yeah. I, because of the debt, the fear of debt, I thought I have to do something that is going to result in an, an income one way or another, whether it's what I want to do or not. So I, I studied political science because I had an interest, um, but also because that could turn into something else, uh, whether it's like a government job or uh, journalism. Yep, excellent. So we finished university. When did you do the documentary? Perhaps we should start back. Tell us about this documentary you made. So, uh, I made this documentary right after uh, I graduated with one of my fellow graduates. He was actually the founder of this company that we together came up with the objective. Uh, that was the name of the company that was making this documentary and he had an idea to cover certain areas of importance in black life in Nova Scotia, uh, mainly what we had worked on together was racism in the public school system and uh, the situation with putting black students uh, separate from the rest of the children and putting them on programs that actually prevent them from being able to access university when they graduate and a lot of people weren't aware that that's what was going to happen. Um, so that was after I got my second degree because I did St. Mary's, I did political science there, and then I did uh, journalism at King's College. That's where I met Tunde Belogan, and uh, he said, do you want to work on this project with me? And I was like, well, what else am I doing? I was just freelancing at the time. So um, that was a wild ride. That's where I really learned about um, the journalism business. Excellent. Excellent. And you created part of the, the documentary and hopefully the rest will, uh, will happen sooner than later. And yet, <laughs> yes, so we, we've got everything kind of going in that direction, but you ended up getting the job that you wanted, didn't you? Uh, I, I did. Um, long process. <laughs> yes, after a long period of you know, going to school, working three jobs at a time, uh, freelancing, going to every gala, going to every AGM, joining every society, volunteering, and all of that stuff that made me so exhausted at the end of it. Um, I did end up finding out about this job at Lions Roar for an editorial assistant, um, assisting one of the editors on making special issue publications. So how I found out about that, funny enough, was through the same person that I worked with the first time I volunteered. That was the person who told me about the job that I have now. Yeah. Well, but you paid your dues, you did everything and more. And the it's real, what do they call it? The secret job opportunities that come that mm -hmm. obviously you made an impression on that person. That's why the networking part that you were obviously doing something that impressed them and that you did get a job. So again, seven years or 10 years of slugging away and you didn't give up Sandra on your dream. Um, 
Let's talk about how you're now working for this amazing global magazine. And then we'll maybe end with the best part, which is what you're doing with Twice as Good. Yes. Um, well, this actually does kind of pick up where we left off because I was freelancing for a while. I was the housing reporter for the coast for a while. It was um, exhausting, underpaid work. Um, and then when I landed this job at Lion's Roar, it was a beautiful opportunity for me to heal from a long time of, of hustling. Um, and also from the journalism industry itself and the way that it is. And then I started to feel like a total sellout because I felt like I had left journalism uh, to work on spirituality. Although what we do there is journalism, it's a magazine. <laughs> um, but you know, I was coming from covering stories about uh, women who were on welfare who couldn't afford period products that they that they need, and the legislation that they introduced to make that covered in income assistance benefits and people who were um, paralyzed from the neck down being put in nursing homes even though they're young people because there are no independent living facilities or you know group homes or anything like that that have 24-hour care for young people who can live independently so really serious things and now i'm like have you ever considered loving kindness and compassion <laughs> and honestly these are the things that we need to hear in this world right now and definitely what i needed to hear and that's why i was attracted to it but um it did feel like oh i'm leaving quote unquote real journalism so from the very beginning of of that job i was thinking of how do you marry these these two seemingly different areas um and I really didn't think I was ever going to find an answer. I was just, it was just a question that was always in my mind. And I had no idea how, how powerful that question was and how much it was working on me as I was going through my life and just taking advantage of opportunities, opportunities that came up as they came up. And I didn't, now that I'm looking back, I'm realizing it all goes back to that question. And that was like a, 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 a guiding thread through the woods and I didn't even know that I was following it yeah um, but then I ended up uh, starting my own thing so with Lion's Roar I quickly moved from the editorial assistant to the producer there uh, because they had just started it kind of experimenting at the time in podcasting and uh, online courses so now that's mainly what I do with them video and audio online and that led me to hmm, what kind of like company could I start to do media the way I imagine it being done the way I think it needs to be done. And combine it with everything that i've learned hearing all of these teachers teaching courses to other people about how to live life ethically how to stay calm how to deal with change all kinds of things. Um, and it just happened that I started with I want to do black media. There's not enough in Canada. And then it became more and more and more specific over time to, I want to do mindful black media. And I wanna, I wanna be part of the movement that defines what mindful journalism is and that fixes journalism because it's real messed up right now. <laughs> totally, yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Excellent. So at what point were you brave enough to start Twice as Good Media? Was that long time coming or you just woke up one day and said, okay, it's my turn now? Well, it, it was kind of a long time coming because since I worked on that documentary, uh, I just saw how powerful it was, how much awareness we were able to raise, even given that we weren't able to complete the documentary. The hard drive was damaged and it would have cost thousands of dollars to get it fixed. They have to put it in an airtight room and send it away and all of this stuff. So we weren't even able to complete the documentary, but we did show two parts, two of the four parts um, at the Halifax Central Library. And we had community meetings and we had individual conversations and I met people who who not not that I could have met any of the politicians or nonprofit leaders just working as a journalist, but the people who live here. That was a unique opportunity to speak one on one with people who are experiencing all these issues on the ground floor uh, and, and finding ways to 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 thrive despite all of that. So that that really inspired me to. I don't know that became part of who I am, and also because it reminded me of where I grew up in Maryland as well, I grew up in. The hood, so to speak in Maryland and uh, I just saw all of the best aspects of my own family and the people I grew up around um, here and I want to help that I think Canada can serve as actually an, an example for people all around the world, especially with our history, the Canadian black history and black Canadians themselves. So that's just what drives me for some reason. <laughs> um, so I was explaining that the, the first thing was the power of, of the community itself. But then the second thing is how messed up the journalism industry is. So um, when it, I watched how easy it is to to do the work so much that you end up being forced to stop doing the work because you didn't spend any time on revenue or you know the business side of it. Yeah, so the second aspect that I learned from then was the journalism industry itself and that it has to change. So when years later someone had mentioned hmm there's some people who are thinking about starting a black media platform i said yes i will help that i will be part of that and i met up with some people and we all had a discussion we agreed about a lot of things but we had very different visions actually of how we thought it should be done so i figured i had to start my own thing and collaborate from there right as equals so I started my company first as just black media and I only called it twice as good as a reminder to myself that I don't have to be twice as good <laughs> that it doesn't have to be perfect and uh, and that the the concept of black excellence while very nice and constructive and powerful through the civil rights movement as well uh, now is it can be seen as kind of limiting when you think of it in terms of I have to be excellent or I'm not enough. So that's that's it was really a message to myself. And then as things developed, it became, you know what? Uh, 
how we define professional and whatever the standard is in journalism is not as good anymore. We're doing something twice as good <laughs> by being like a little less perfect maybe and using narratives, using subjective experience and mindfulness ethics and practices to do news just completely differently, like radically different. I love it. I love it. Um, I often said uh, I would listen to news if they had a positive news station, but uh, mm. certainly what you're learning, working with um, Lion's Roar, um, you're taking what you're learning there from Buddhism and sharing it out, out in the world. And one of the things that I like is you're talking about the positive. Um, you know, one of the things Mother Teresa used to say was, don't invite me to a war rally, invite me to a peace rally. And to me, the progress that you're making, Sandra, is it's really heart focused, centered to really make that beautiful difference when we all can, um, you know, accept and love each other as we are. So, yeah, I applaud you for what you're doing and more important, the way that you're doing it. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's it's growing and developing and there are people who've been working on mindful journalism for a long time um but it's not exactly popular and however i do think that it is popular actually it's already happening it's already on the rise but it's just not called that yet yeah well yeah. and you said a couple of other things that i think are very important but speaks to the courage of you have to to be doing what you're doing is for many of us the the paramount thing of whatever we start is we usually have to try to monetize it because of course we have to live. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, again, money's the measure of the pleasure you send into the lives of others that you should be rewarded for what you do. But do you find sometimes it's your mission and with that, that, that that's maybe why some journalists have a really hard time with this because we do need to eat. <laughs> That is exactly it. That's the number one problem. I saw how much one can run themselves into the ground doing the work for the greater good to the point that they actually are forced to stop doing the work, which is a major challenge for independent journalism today. How can we serve the news for a just society and also raise our own funds to do so? Um, at some point, these two needs conflict and you have to choose between spending your time raising money through ads and sponsorships and crowdfunding grants or services and doing journalism. So you have to choose between spending three hours at a historic event that you're covering on Twitter or something, or three hours pitching to advertisers and arranging sponsored content. And it's really tough because no one gets into journalism for the money. <laughs> <laughs> with the same skills, you can make a lot more by working in marketing. And that's exactly what a lot of journalism students do. They build their career experience by working in marketing, and they often stay in marketing. <laughs> um, there's, you know, that's why we also have a shortage of young people in journalism, a shortage of people of color in journalism. It's elite, it's inaccessible. You know, there's, there's just so much uh, wrong with it. But but there are people working around this. There's this textbook that I've been reading called uh, Mindful Ethics in a Digital, Mindful News Ethics in a Digital Era, something like that. Um, and uh, they're using Buddhist scholarship to 
extract the ethics and principles that can be used in a professional context for journalism. And one of those things is journalism can't be so heavily dependent on advertising because then your client is your advertiser, not your reader. Yeah. Bottom line. Exactly. So well, it is very tough. Yeah. And then depending upon who the advertiser, they may ask you to change some of what you've written. So a quandary all the way around, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I think what's even worse is that what often, I mean, I don't think people are often asked to just change, change what you wrote, but they'll self-censor before getting to that point. Yeah. Because you know what's on what's on the line. So my goal is to have 30% at least of my revenue be be memberships, people, you know, actual readers who are paying for the service to be free uh, for others. Oh, I love that idea. That is excellent. Well, thank you so much to Sandra. So any last minute tips on stepping out of your comfort zone? Because I think You've done a lot of that in your lifetime, Sandra. Uh, yep, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> doing a great um, job. Yeah. You know, my advice is to uh, network with intention. So I look back and I think I actually networked probably a little too much, in fact, because I didn't have a direction for who I should be networking with. So I would suggest save yourself some effort and just be more purposeful with who you're networking with anyone you if you met someone in a bar or at an event with food, they probably are not going to follow up with you on their own. <laughs> but you can be the magic person who does do the follow up because the success is in the follow up isn't it. The success is in the follow up, but especially, you know, in a professional context, when you meet someone, for example, like uh, if I go to a conference that is a media conference, that's where I want to be networking, really. And I'll choose that over uh, meeting some famous person that my friend knows about uh, downtown who might be there and might notice us. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So you've been listening to Network Equals Net Worth. It's Delene Allen. Everybody's got a story to tell, and I'd love to hear yours. Thanks so much for listening. What you like best about today's conversations and the connections that lead to miraculous outcomes. Leave a review. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to share your story too. So why not touch base with Delene Allen on Instagram and we'll keep the conversations going.